0: Hello, everybody Paul alcoholic and uh, I can't believe you came back actually <laughs> well I want to read the promises to start off in the in the book in our book in AA it's in America it's I think page 83 right so the promises If we are painstaking about the phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will will see how our experiences can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. From my experience with this program and concerning the aspect of a spiritual awakening, uh, the spiritual awakening for me is the doorway to a new freedom and a new happiness. In the old mental system of self, we had an idea what happiness was and what freedom is, but now when this shift occurs in one's head, it's not just a head but a psychic shift, You'll, know, you'll have a new meaning, a new freedom, and a new happiness. In other words, you won't be able to recognize it. It won't look like your idea of what freedom and happiness was. Yeah. We'll be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know, uh, we will not regret the past nor shut the door on it. So for me, and the view that, that started taking over my life is that the way I think of the past is that if it was supposed to happen, it did, and if it didn't, it didn't. wasn't supposed to happen. It's really a nice, clean way. Because the mind would loves to go into this little, one of the little uh, hallways of hell up here is what if, or I sh- if oh, if only, or I should have, yeah? If the mind, if you see that introduction, say no to that little invitation. Because it's gonna take you, and what you bring back is not gonna be <laughs> any good. So if only, if only I wouldn't have, walked across that street, I wouldn't have got hit by the car. But I did get hit by the car, yeah? You just forget that fact. So amazing how many people, they express their free will, not now, in this moment, but in time. They think they could have done all these things differently, you know, if I wouldn't have done that, if I would have done this. But while you're in this moment, you feel like you're a victim to circumstances and situations. But in time, you're constantly believing it could have all been different. (laughs) <laughs> in this self, in this identification as self, that's what we were talking about last night, my humble opinion that I'm just offering, and it's, it's not to replace any other view, it's just, it's just an invitation, yeah? And that is, I believe the root of the problem is identification as self. It's not obsession with self. I believe the obsession with self is what the mind does that's identified as self. Yeah, It has to obsess over it to keep the bonding agent in place. Yeah, Because it's so obvious in a sense through conscious contact that there is no self, that the mind has to convince you of it all day. So your narrative about a day is based on being a self. Yeah, All your thoughts are about self or the thoughts that are happening, you think you're the one who thinks it. Those are the relationships. Either you're the thinker of the thoughts or they're about you as self. And that narrative, it sounds like it's your voice, doesn't it? It's like K-Paul, like a radio station. K-Paul 24-7. You know? <laughs> I, can't, I can't pick up any, any other station but K-Paul. You know, <laughs> But this narrative is what binds you to this idea of being a body. Yeah, this and a head. And in that identification, you make spirit secondary. It's not, you don't do it, you know, it's not personal. If you take this to be number one, spirit can't be number one. It has to be number two to this. So this becomes my primary uh, identity. And then when I'm in this condition, I suffer from this primary identity. And maybe after a lot of other attempts, I finally come to spirituality, and I hope that maybe spirituality will give me a solution or give me an advantage to being me. Yeah? But there is no sense that you are spirit. You're just trying to like graft spirit onto you as this. Yeah. So you study a lot and you do a lot of things, but you notice that they don't really stick. You've got to keep doing them all the time. Yeah. If you, one hour of not being vigilant, it slips right off. You gotta pick it up, put it on here, get the book, read it, do this, do this, yeah? Because it's not a natural thing. You're not a body and a brain, you are the spirit, yeah? Like when I was young, I had an Uncle Fred who was really nice to me, he used to give me money at birthday parties, relative's parties. And uh, he passed away, I was nine years old, and my mother took me to the funeral and we walked by the casket and I looked in the casket and there was Uncle Fred, yeah? But when I looked and I saw the body, I had a hit that that isn't Uncle Fred, a realization. It was clear as day, that ain't Uncle Fred. I was seeing the body, but I, the, the animating principle, the spirit had left the body and I was misidentifying the spirit as the body. I thought the body was Uncle Fred because I'm thinking, I'm the body, yeah? But when I saw the animating principle, the spirit of life out of the body, it was obvious that had never been Uncle Fred, yeah? I was just making a mistake. I was seeing him as something that he wasn't exactly the way I'm seeing myself as something that I am not, yeah? So the root of the disease of alcoholism is alcoholism is a disease of mind and perception, yeah? You can't take an x-ray and find alcoholism on the body. You can see effects of of a body of alcoholism, but you can't, it's not like below your underarm or in your third rib. There's no place you're going to find alcoholism, MRI scans, everything, because it's in the mental process, yeah? It's how you think. It's how you perceive. It's the idea of false evidence appearing real to you. There must be something going on that if that the mind can present false evidence, it will continually appear real to you, yeah? There's something off there. There's something that's causing you to be unconscious when you're actually conscious. You're unconscious enough that you can't even see when the mind is presenting false evidence, it appears real to you, yeah? And then you react as if it's real and then the shit hits the fan, usually. Most of us are living in a hallway of shit and fans, really, aren't we? (laughs) We're just running the gauntlet, and we don't know why the fans keep turning on and the shit keeps moving in front of them. And then we have a tendency to go, what? And get hit with the shit. And then we know it hit the fan after we've wiped it off our face. That's slow, actually, you know? You'd like to see what turns the fan on and what makes the shit move and line up, yeah? (laughs) I would hope so, you know? Would save us a lot of trouble. (laughs) But these are aspects of being unconscious. You're aware, and yet you're unaware. I believe you're aware and yet you're unaware of being awareness. That's what I sense, yeah? And why you're aware but you're unaware that you're that awareness because you're very aware of being a body and a brain. And in the remembering this to be me, I forget spirit, yeah? It's you can't really entertain both because if you entertain this is me, spirit has to be something else. Something that you can get. And that's why you miss it, because it's actually you. So when you're reaching for a spirit, that's spirit reaching. Yeah. That's why it's hard. That's why it says self can't get out of self, or the seeker is the sought in spiritual terms. Yeah? The seeker is what the the seeker is looking for, the seeker, in a sense. Yeah. So I'm seeking for this, but I'm calling this a that, a Paul, yeah. In that illusion, in that delusion, it causes a lot of confusion, yes? I can see false evidence appearing real. I can see someone who's trying to be of help to me, a threat. All of these perceptual uh, delusions occur and the thinking is crazy, yes? (laughs) Your thinking is living in what's not happening. You're constantly thinking about the past or actually from the past about a future And it's so strong that you will basically be unaware of being here. But if you took a camera, and no matter how much you're thinking about the future, you would be here now. And no matter how much you're dwelling in the past, you're only doing that now. You cannot leave this moment. If you've ever seen a lot of self-help books where they say, a hundred ways to get into the moment, throw that book away. Because the whole point is you can't be out of a moment. Any moment of your life, you've been there. <laughs> Every scene of the crime, you were at that scene, yes? <laughs> so this idea of trying to get into the moment is reinforcing the belief you can be out of the moment. This is mind, mind-selfing, selfing, totally selfing. Yeah. The selfing convinces you to, that you're out of the moment, then it tells you how to get into the moment, which is even a bigger way to be out of the moment. Yeah? All right, so let's say someone says self is the problem. So you, it hits you, yes, it's true. What happens if you sign up for a two-year course of workshops about self? Wouldn't that be obsession with self? So trying to get out of self can just be as obsessive as getting, being in it. See, you can't get out of this trap as self. Self can't get out of self. How could a product of a mental process, because you did not have a sense of self when you were one years old. They've already proven it in research that the first year, year and a half of life here, the, the baby has no sense of other. It's all just a wash in awareness, yes? Then the mind starts formulating and a mental process occurs and puts out the idea, what am I? Yeah? It asks the question, but it already provides the answer. I am this, Paul, and that is mother. And then, bah, the world begins. Yeah? But before the world began, there was awareness. Yeah? Awareness of itself through a body, not seeing the difference. We outgrew that, and we grew into this identification. And for some of us, the identification as self is infected with the disease of alcoholism. So everyone in this place is living in a self-centered realm, but we're in an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness called alcoholism. It tends to treat the host a lot worse than just (laughs) self-centeredness. And why we come to meetings in a way, for me, is when we share about alcoholism, and that's what we do, yeah, when we go to a regular AA meeting, we sit there and we share about our feelings, my thoughts and my reactions to life. And you're sitting there, and for me, when I came in AA, I had a sense of terminal uniqueness. I didn't know I had a sense of terminal uniqueness. I found out later, but I thought no one felt the way I felt. I thought definitely no one did the bad things I did. And definitely they didn't think like I thought. And I came in here, and this is the isolation of alcoholism. When I was a kid, they took pictures of me and my family, and I looked like a little cherub, you know, like an angel. And the whole family looked very angelic, you know? Just love, it was like just brightness in the picture. And then thinking started to occur. And around six years old, there'd be pictures of the family, and I'd be sitting in there looking at my mother suspiciously. (laughs) I started to isolate already. There was a withdrawing, yes? a withdrawing, and I came and went into this little cave, and then my Greek oracle was the thoughts. They told me who you were, what you were, who I was, what I was, what was gonna happen, what this and that, this and that, and I became reliant on that. That is what I call self. And it says in our book, why do you have so much fear? And it says a very simple answer, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us, yeah? As soon as I started to rely on self, I basically forgot my own nature, yeah? I took the nature that self-displayed, which is a body, me, Paul, yes? With mother and dad and this and that and can get hurt and not get what I want and da 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 de, da da all this stuff, yes? I got sucked up into that and I didn't know it, but my thinking has alcoholism in it. So I'm extremely self-centered. And yet I can't compare my thoughts to you because they're not outside. I can't look at Gene and, and say, oh, I don't want those thoughts. And while you're thinking, you're just assuming that's what thinking is, just the way I'm thinking. But after, you know, when I got into recovery, I realized the extreme severity of the self-centeredness. The only way I looked at life was how it pertained to me. I had a very difficult time putting myself in your shoes. It was incredibly difficult. I saw everything, so let's say, if someone starts talking about their mother, I start talking about my mother, yeah? When they start talking about their job, hey, my job, it immediately gets turned back to me, constantly. Oh, someone just died in my family. Oh, someone did in mine too. I know, but I'm talking about mine. I know, but mine, my brother died also five years ago. No, my mother just passed away last night, but my brother died five years ago. It immediately gets referred right back to me. Everything, you know, anything. Right out of the blue, you can be talking about Venus. Oh, yes. I have a memory of being in Venus. It's incredible. This is called self-centeredness. It's like a giant, giant vacuum. Sucks everything in. And then what it does, your head represents it to you. Over and over and over again, doesn't it? It represents life, doesn't it? Doesn't, don't you wait to hear what it has to say? <laughs> Am I having fun at this party or not? Oh, let me tell you. Your fairy princess isn't here, so you're not having fun. Oh, I better leave then. You have no idea what's going on. You're just waiting, and you sometimes, it's like an eight-hour delay. You don't even know something happened until days later, or maybe years later. Some people at the deathbed. It's a real harsh awakening when they realize, Jesus Christ, <laughs> my whole life was an interpretation. Ding! They're done. <laughs> Oops! <laughs> I'll tell you, it's funny. It, this may not be funny to you, but it's really funny to me. <laughs> Let's say you're in this thing where that's all you're living by is an interpretation, yes? Something happens, some you're consciously in contact. You're hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, smelling, but you have really no idea what's going on, so the head tells you. Yeah? So let's, let's say that's happening every day. So every moment, the head's interpreting the moment, yes? The interpretation, you get the interpretation the next moment. So A moment happened, you weren't present for it in a sense, the mind interprets it for you in the next moment, yes? And then so you're not present for this moment because you're now having an interpretation of the last moment. And the next moment is again the interpretation of this one you just missed. (laughs) And it goes on and on and on and on and on. So let's say you have a finite amount of moments in this life as a body. It's not gonna be eternal, yeah? Let's say, okay, so now you've been listen, all you've been doing is listening to your head your whole life, telling you what's going on, what's not going on, what, you know, all this. And then there's the moment you die, the body dies, yeah? So there's the death, and you're waiting to hear from the mind, hey, did I die? <laughs> but you don't understand, the narration is in the, of the body. It died. You're never gonna get the next uh, story, yeah? You missed the bus basically. Like in some, some views in Buddhism, the whole point of living is to be at the point of when you die, because that's like a transition. You just missed the bus. <laughs> All you did was complain about the bus your whole life and then you miss it. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> So after a while, you get in the habit of leaving an interpretation because why? It has, in a sense, become successful in causing you to be seemingly unconscious, yeah? So if you're unconscious to now, which is you're in contact as now, hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, and actually seeing thoughts. You're not thinking thoughts. If you were thinking thoughts, then you could probably stop them, yeah? Really, just like if you're running and someone says, stop running, you, if, because you're running, you can stop. Yeah? No, I can't stop, I'm addicted to running, maybe. But usually you go, okay, I stop. Or they say, hey, Paul, stop yelling. All right, stop talking, okay. But stop thinking, whoa, wait a minute. You don't seem to be able to do anything about that, yet you believe you're a thinker, just like a runner and a talker and a this and that. Yeah? You apply something that has nothing to do with what's going on. Me and you aren't thinking, in my view. There's just thoughts happening, yes? Based on the conditioning and stimuli. And you're seeing the thoughts because that's what you are, is consciousness or awareness or spirit. So spirit is not a form. It's more like a reflector, so it reflects whatever happening. So thoughts happening, it reflects that. Now, if you get absorbed in thoughts, you forget Well, what it does. This has been my experience with it. I'm seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, but my head has given me an interpretation and say, I'm seeing you, yeah? I'm hearing that. So the emphasis left the experience of being conscious, which is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and it went to name and form, yeah? My mind gave name and form. So it's like, Paul saw you, yes? Paul heard that note. Yeah. And so you, you, don't, you lose the sense of what it's like to be alive, and then the mind rushes in and gives you a substitute, which is an interpretation. It now tells you, it has tons of opinions about what you saw. I shouldn't have saw that. Why did I see that? Next time I won't see it. It goes on and on and on and on and on, yes, interpreting the conscious contact. That's the unconsciousness that we're living in. So the here is right here. I'm in conscious contact with it. And if you're here, you'll have an immunity to going there, which is the realm of what's not happening. We talked about that last night. The mental realm has time in it, yes? Has an idea of a past and a future, but you tell me where the future is. Is there an airport you can land in the future? Is there a hotel you can rent a room at? Is, can you go back to the past? Is there a bus at, you know, Nava Vegan that take me to the, can you how do you go there and you actually don't go there physically because if there's a camera on you and you've just gone to the past in your head you're still here in the room how do you go through thought yeah that's the only way you can travel into time is thought past and future that's what's not happening haven't you noticed that bring next friday here Yeah. All right. And let's say Friday was going to be fearful. Then if not next Friday was here, every one of us would be experiencing fear, but that's not happening. Our minds are going into a realm called what's not happening. And you're thinking something's going to happen to you next Friday. That may be bad, like cancer or getting fired or something. Yes. Now you may be healthy as hell right now, but that doesn't mean a damn thing to your head. (laughs) It really doesn't, it's not noting it at all. It just wants to fantasize about how terrible it's gonna be. So now your head's there, which is not a there, it doesn't exist, but it has a magical way to bring something from there, a product. What is that product? Well, let's say you're gonna have cancer next week. I would say it's gonna be anxiety. And the anxiety is going to be an experience produced by a mental process now. Not an experience produced by seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, but produced by thinking. Yeah? It makes up an experience. It's not an experience that I have received. It makes one up. It produces anxiety. People are calling anxiety fear. Fear is a valid emotion. Yeah? Fear is something that arises in the body when there's a threat now. Most of us are in anxiety, we're not in fear at all. We live in anxiety, it's it's produced by thinking about what's not happening. What would be the solution to it? I would say recognizing it's not happening, wouldn't it? What more would you need to do about all those thoughts that are causing giant therapy bills and everything else? What would be the simplest thing to do is maybe recognizing it's not actually happening. What? If that hits you, to me it's like a ton of bricks, if it hits you that it isn't happening, what would be the next appropriate response? Nothing. (laughs) It's not happening. There it is. The appropriate response to what's not happening is nothing. You recognize it's not happening? Why would I want to give it a response? If I give it a response, it's happening now. Yes? But if you're in only there, you can't see the difference between what's happening and what's not happening. Actually, what's not happening is more important than what's happening. Look at where your thoughts go. They dwell in the past and the future. They could care less about now. They're always concerned about later, and before yeah now there's no need for thought to to be aware of now because this is see we said it last night what's happening has one quality what doesn't happen has has one quality what doesn't what does not happen doesn't have which is it's happening yeah very simple that quality is all that it is that's the conscious contact All of this, what's not happening, there is no conscious contact with it. There's only mental contact with it. Mental contact with it that brings about a conscious contact with it when you feel it in the body, yes, as a product of the mind, yeah? So for me, the solution here is so simple, and it says in the book, uh, you know, to improve our conscious contact with that higher power. Now it's up to you what you believe the higher power is. I don't believe the higher power is externalized or an object to me. I would say to me the higher power is like a present tense verb and I'm a present tense verb. So my idea of a higher power is that it's always available at all times with no requirement necessary to meet it. In other words, my head doesn't play gatekeeper to my access to the higher power. Because if it does play gatekeeper, that's playing God. Yes? The self is playing God with God. It's telling me when I've been good enough to enter, and it tells me when I've been bad to get kicked out. And it's very whimsical, God. It's all sort of like the Old Testament, God. Do you ever read the Old Testament? Sounds just like yourself, doesn't it? Your head. It's jealous, I'll smote you and if you do this, and don't put any other God before me. It sounds just like your head. So this whole idea in AA is the biggest part of AA is to quit playing God. There was a psychiatrist that did a master thesis on AA in America, and he wasn't an alcoholic, and he distilled his whole uh, take on AA as people are just learning how to quit playing God. That's all they're doing in AA. Yeah? They're learning to have, rely on something greater than self instead of relying on self. And you can tell the tree by the fruit. Like Jesus says, if, it's, if you're relying on a bad tree, you're going to have bad fruit. Yeah? If you, a good tree can, can only produce good fruit. You'll know the tree by the fruit. Yeah. If you're in a lot of anxiety and you have resentments and anxieties are going on and on and on with tons of stories to back them up, you're totally in the obsession and identification as self. No matter how many times you think you've done the third step, take the diagnostic. It's very obvious, yes? If you're entertaining a lot of anxiety, there's, you're relying on self because that's what happens when you put faith in self, it produces anxiety. It does you believe, you have faith in the thoughts that are about what's not happening, that faith is what produces the anxiety. Thoughts about what's not happening cannot produce any product whatsoever. They're not happening. What they're thinking about is not happening, but you believing them, you, you believing them produces the product, yeah? Your faith in the thoughts produces your own anxiety. If you, if you take away the faith in that and put it into something greater than self, you will be freed from that anxiety because when I, I've experienced faith in what's greater than self produces an ease and comfort in my skin now. You know? It's the same faith, it's just put in a different vehicle. If I put it in the vehicle of self, it produces anxiety. If I put it in the vehicle of something greater than self, it produces an ease and comfort here with you and myself. Same faith. Exactly, the same power. It's just what you put it in. So what can, what can make what's not happening seem so real is not what's not happening. It's your belief in it. Yeah. You're the power, just like a thought. People believe thoughts are driving them crazy, but if you really look at it, if you see what's going on, thoughts just appear, yes? The, the real important aspect of that is who thinks see is seeing the thought. If it's self that sees the thought, he says it's thinking the thought, and it's about them. Then what happens is the thought is a vehicle, and when you say, when there's a thought and it's seen as my thought, my represents Paul, yeah? Paul represents lots of old ideas, lots of conditioning, lots of opinions. Just like an AA says, the results will be nil unless you let go of all your old ideas. All of these old ideas, now, as soon as the thought is seen, The bridge of my gets produced it injects the thought with old meaning you are giving the meaning to the thoughts the thoughts aren't hitting you with any meaning you're giving them the meaning that's why the same thought if seen from a point of view other than self will have a totally different meaning its meaning is that it came and goes seriously it comes and goes that's the meaning that's given to it when The my gives it a meaning, it stays, it's like a fly stuck in a room, buzz, I, me, my, I, me, my, I, me, my. Drives you freaking crazy, yes? But you're the one that closed all the windows. The fly doesn't want to stay in the room. It's not its nature. Its nature is to come and go. You claim it by my, and then it binds you, yes? Haven't you seen it? When you have people come over who you work with in recovery, supposedly, whatever, and they start sharing their thoughts about what's not happening, aren't you bored in about a minute, really? You're like, fuck, Jesus Christ. Let's do some laundry or something. Let's take a walk, go help someone else, you know? Go do your dishes. But the same activity's been going on 40 years in your head and you still think it's novel, you know? You're still interested in it. Why is that? Why? They're the same thoughts. Why does one seem so different than the other? Because one's theirs and the other's yours. It's the you, not the thought. It's the you. You want to be truly responsible in AA and be accountable in AA? Bring it back to you. You are actually the source of peace. Yes, you are the source. Your mind has peace as a quality, and you can enjoy it, but not as a self. A self can never enjoy peace of mind because it's constructed in time. Even if peace hit it right in the face, it'd be wondering when it was going to end. Doesn't it happen? You spend years waiting for a great event, like uh, let's say I'm going to sleep with this beautiful woman I've been hoping to go out with for two years. And so I rent the lighthouse, you know, and I look at the weather reports, there's going to be a big electrical storm, oh yeah, and it's got the spiral staircase, and I got the Kenny G music pumped in, and I got... You know, beautiful bed up there, and I've been thinking about this for years. You know, oh, yes. The night's there, and I'm walking up the spiral staircase. Nothing can stop me now. It's oh, she's there, I'm here. But, uh, and as soon as I get up to the top, my head says, did you leave the stove on at home? There it goes. <laughs> the whole freaking event like that. Five thoughts just wiped out two years of planning. How many times that you have been having a good day And then the mind starts feeling like a fraud in about 10 minutes, yeah? Doesn't it? Or let's say someone's really accepting you, and you've never fucking accepted yourself, and it's unbearable. Have you ever sat with unconditional love? If you're in self, it's unbearable. Because there's so many reasons why this person shouldn't be loving you unconditionally. (laughs) If they only knew who I was, they'd be out of here like that. So it's like, oh, please, stop. Stop loving me. It's insane. (laughs) So let's say here's the head, and it's having a good day. After about 10 minutes, it starts thinking, Jesus Christ, when are they going to figure me out? (laughs) When are they going to kick me out of this party? When are they going to, you know? But the same head, if it's having a bad day, says it's going to last forever. eh? Have you noticed that? When something's quote-unquote good, it minimizes it. When it's bad, it elongates it. Do you want to live an interpretation based on that? Do you think it's going to get better? I mean, people feel a little bit like upset for 20 minutes. It's a lifelong depression is starting. You know, just they go off. And yet when it's really good, they just want to leave. Why is that? Why is it that peace and joy upset you, but sorrow and pain you're like best friends with? You like to bitch about it, but you love it, really, in a sense. The mind is insane. You've got to see what's running your show. I don't know, maybe you don't. I was happy to find out because I knew something was really irritable, restless, and discontent, and it was actually even prior to the alcoholism. There was just something wrong going on because I had a very strong, like, not a maybe a memory of when it was when I was a kid, and there was a lot of wonder and awe and joy and just immediacy to life. You know, when I had a feeling, I went for it. There wasn't all this thinking about it, yes? I mean, how was, when was the last time you did something without thinking? When even just walking into the room, when you walk in into the room, there's the act of walking in the room, but the mind's thinking about, did anyone see me walk in the room? Who's here? They're there. Isn't it always all our attention just sucked up into this little porno theater up here? Yeah, Just up here watching movie of us all day. Isn't it crazy? When was the last time you smelled something like a perfume or a rose? But thoughts, thoughts every day, thinking, thinking, thinking. We've been sucked up. We've been taken out of life, and something has give, replaced it with an interpretation of life. I feel like alcohol is a parasite. That's how I view it. It's like a parasite. It may not be clinically a parasite, but all of its activities and movements are, a par- are parasitical. Yeah. First of all, it needs your life to have a life. It does. It cannot get what it wants, which is fuel. It needs alcohol and drugs, let's say, or drama or whatever it is that it's feeding, but it can't go and buy it because it doesn't have a hand or mouth to say, hey, can I have some? It has to sort of cause you to go out there and do it. And the the amazing hold it has on us, you cannot deny it after all the times you've had your ass kicked drinking that you'll still think it's a good idea to have another one. I mean, this is one strong parasite that has us, yes? And that parasite, it's like a possession. It's going to, you're not going to die. Have you ever seen how long alcoholics live? I swear to God, you can't kill us. We're like cockroaches. They will just keep on ticking, limps, no teeth, abscesses, and they're just, hey, bro, what's happening? They're still going. they just, you couldn't shoot them, they'll come alive because the parasite doesn't want to give up its one host. It has plans for you, and it's not a quick death usually. Yeah, has it been? Jesus, I overdosed and I miraculously came back. I couldn't believe it every fucking time, oh no. The same movie with blue policemen on me, oh Jesus Christ, I thought I'd get out of here. Nope, you're back, I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> we need a power greater than it. Yes, that's the whole point of the, re- of the program, is to have a relationship with a power greater than it. Not a, not a very casual relationship, an intimate relationship, by, for me, by calling that me. That I am that power. I am the spirit. I'm not, I don't have a spiritual condition. I am a spirit. Yeah? I don't want to have another freaking spiritual experience. It doesn't change anything. It's just a collector's item. I wanna have a, a radical shift where I'm free. Yeah, radically free from what? The bondage to self. And you may not think it's bondage, but I'll tell you, when you're free from it, you'll see it as bondage. It's unfreaking believable what it's doing. Yeah, You're in constant anxiety about what's not happening. Can you imagine that? A vibrant living thing when you were running around playing between two and four, and every person you met, you were beaming love out. And now you're sitting in a room like this, worrying about what's not happening. What the fuck occurred? Did we just grow? Did that, is that the natural way we grow? No, something took over. Something, it's sort of like, in my view is let's say if there was a world like this, but there was only one way to have an experience of it. And it was a, a world of feel, yeah? You can only feel it. There was no eyes, hearing, nothing. So. This is the only way you'd know anything. So your experience of life would be feeling it. And let's just say at the beginning you were feeling everything, yes? Everything was unbelievably immediate and just clear. You know, blue and blue and red and red. This is hard, I felt hard. This was soft, I felt soft. Then maybe after three, four, five years old, a certain like glove came upon you, yeah? Came over the hand. Let's say it's like a rough glove, yeah? coarse. yeah? Now every time you feel, every time, every time you feel, you feel anything you feel through the glove. So the glove is interpreting what you're feeling, yes? So if you feel something really soft and you have a rough glove, it's rough. If you feel anything, it's always gonna be rough. It's always gonna be translated into being rough. So let's say in this little world, there's a scripture about describing the incredible bliss of of the beloved, the all-oneness, and they describe it as walking through a rose garden and feeling all of these millions of petals, the softness of the roses. And this is like the spiritual description of heaven, let's say, in this little realm. So you've read it in Braille, obviously, you know, the uh, Braille, and you read it, and there's the idea of, oh, that would be great. But then you finally get to the rose garden, and you're walking through the rose garden, but you've got this glove on. You've forgotten what it was like to be the hand. And you've, been, you've assumed, because this has been here so long that it's actually you. So every petal you feel with these, with these scriptures ringing in your ears, it's not translating. It still feels rough. I've come here all this way, and this is the rose garden of heavenly delight, and it still feels just like everything else feels. Yeah? There's no translation. But what would happen... If the hand entertained it wasn't the glove, what would you think the next thing it could entertain would be? I can leave the glove, eh? If you're identified as the root of the problem, in my view, self, you can't entertain being free of it because you're entertaining everything as self. Even like in AA, it says, you can study about self up to the you know, so much, and you can gather so much knowledge about self, but like it says in our book, self-knowledge will avail you nothing. Why is that? When the knowledge seems to be very valuable in a lot of other topics, why is it that self-knowledge will avail you nothing? Well, in my view, if you're identified as self, any knowledge about self, yes, is being entertained as self. The problem is not having enough knowledge about self, it's the identification as self, yes? That's the whole point. In all spirituality, one of the biggest dilemmas I found was people enter a process or a practice of spirituality, but they're practicing as a self. So what was promised by those paths and disciplines don't tend to translate in your life. It seems like a lot of work without much relief. Because the problem is practicing the solution. If you are identified as self, you won't know it. It is like how you don't know the effect of gravity, but it's always on you. It's sort of like that. It would be like if someone put a hand on your shoulder when you were born. You wouldn't know it was there until it's lifted. Identifications like that. When it lifts, then you know that was the problem. That's exactly how I recognized it. For some reason or other, there was a lifting of it, and then I saw from the solution, that's the problem. It's not obsessing, it's identification. The obsession diminishes immediately when you realize the thoughts aren't about you. You could care less about the thoughts. Then your life is navigated and directed by something other than thinking. I would call it the higher power if you want to call that an AA, but something directs you. It moves you yes? in a different way than thoughts do. Thoughts always move you from the past, into a, into a speculated future. It's not, you're never living. This moves you now. In other words, I don't know what I need to do until I need to do it. It's very economical. I don't have a lot of wisdom, I just know what to do next usually. In every day, it just comes. Yeah, it's beautiful, it's very economical. So I stay very light, yeah, very, very light. This isn't a storage unit no more. Yeah. There's a freedom and a, an immediate freedom an intimate freedom. Not something that I put off till tomorrow or when this is over and I get my ice cream or something. No, an immediate freedom now. Freedom, not the old freedom, but from the bondage to self. Because the bondage to self is not having any immunity to the thoughts in your head. You're addicted to them. We talked last night, but we, you've seen obsessions. Let's say I had obsession over cocaine. But no matter how much I love Coke, I never thought I was Coke. I never became cocaine, yeah? But identification is so past obsession, you're identified as self. Talk about obsession, obsession with self is minor compared to identification as self. You can recognize obsession much easier than you will identification. It is way deeply ingrained because every time you look, you think it's you looking. Every time you feel, it's you feeling. Every time, it's always you, yeah? Something occurs, and the mind raises up and says, I did it. Yeah. Just like seeing. I'm seeing. Hearing. I'm hearing. Are you hearing? Give me a break. If your ear's pointed this way, whatever sounds are happening, hearing's occurring. Yes? Your mind reacts to what I'm hearing. <laughs> so it's just sitting there. As soon as something occurs, life, you know, like hearing, feeling, seeing, tasting, touching, as soon as it goes, seeing, I'm seeing. <laughs> Hearing, I'm hearing. <laughs> it's like a little brat, you know? I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. But the proof is in the pudding. Prior to you, there was awareness, yes? We had said this today. I like this today, was, we were playing with this idea. There's, there's you, yes, as a body, and then there's the awareness, yeah? spirit. So spirit is prior to this appearing, yes? That's the, that's the situation. Now, when you're identified as self, when you feel the movement of spirit, the self claims it, yes? And now says, I'm the one who's seeing. And now the spirit can become an object that or a topic that you may want to know or not know. Yeah? So here it is. They're seeing. And then this claims the seeing. And that's you looking. Yeah? Right now, we're looking out of a self centered view. That's what it is. Yeah? The scene gets bastardized and turns into looking. Yeah? So here we are. I'm looking now. What am I looking for? Maybe the scene. But I can't see the scene because there's an eye looking. Yeah? When this gets dropped, that's the scene. And it's never going to be, you are never going to be on this side of it. It's always prior to you. So whatever you say, oh, this is the real me. No, seeing is there, behind that. Wherever you go, all right, wherever you go, before you get there, it's there. Yeah? Relent, surrender, fucking give up. Drop in, abandon yourself. It doesn't mean abandon you. You can't abandon you, but you can abandon the self to that higher power so that this stays in place. Yes? You see, you sense life coming through you but not happening to you. Yeah? You sense life happening through. Yes? Like you're a camera and that light's coming through. Yeah? The camera is not the light. The film is in there. All the conditioning, all this, all your old ideas, beliefs that are going to take life in this life are there, but they only get animated by the light. The camera is just a camera. It needs light to project, yes? That's what happened when I saw Uncle Fred. His projector was not filled with light. The body was just a projector. There was no light coming through. The movie had been, was over. The same body, I would see him alive if that light was coming through. You could take the eye out of his dead body and put it in a live body and that eye would see, but it was not seeing in his body. The eye's not seeing, yeah? The spirit's seeing. Through the eye, the spirit's hearing through the ear. You didn't die, and almost every part of your body can be put in someone who's alive, and it would function. But it's not functioning now. Why? Because the spirit has left this body. I would say the spirit precedes everything, yes? And if we are that, then we cannot possibly be this. And the suffering is because we think we're this, and we have forgotten that. And the suffering gets unbearable and we have alcoholism so you want to drink and get loaded. You want some fucking relief, don't you? Isn't it the case? It's unbearable, untreated alcoholism. It's freaking unbearable to feel uncomfortable in your own skin every fucking day, isn't it? I got so sick and tired of it every time walking in a room wondering what everyone was thinking about me. Ad nauseam every day is she can just beat you down. So yeah, hey, have a beer, you'll forget. Yeah, sure. Fuck yeah. Give me some relief, man. I'm dying, can't you see? Man, when you were a kid, were you like that? When I was three years old? Was I uh, worrying? What is everyone thinking about me? I wasn't thinking about anything. <laughs> yeah. I didn't care if I had nice clothes on or not, no clothes. I didn't care if my mother was super fat and terribly, terribly ugly. I loved her anyway. I had no concepts of beauty and ugliness and this and that, or of time, or of better. I never thought, why aren't we in a better house? I never thought that one between two and four, really. I never looked at the room and found something at fault in it. I said, oh, this rug sucks. Jimmy has a much better rug at his house. No, none of that came on. I don't remember any of it. just sort of there because I didn't entertain I could be anywhere else. Isn't that a beautiful state? We entertain it could be different. That's what's driving us crazy. We refuse to accept what's happening because we believe it could be different. Yeah. I don't know, so we're supposed to take a break and then uh, I guess we'll come back, yeah? 15 minutes break and then come back, yeah.